Today on Salt and Light Radio, we speak with Vatican expert John Allen about his new book, The Future of the Church, and classical singer Rosanna Reverso joins us as Artist of the Week. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. I'm Chris Dimitrenko. And Chris, we are going to start with our news segment as we usually do. So mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what do we have to look forward to? Well, I think a lot of people are going to be talking about the, the Santiago de Compostela, the, the Camino de Santiago, the, the famous pilgrimage. Yes. H have you walked it yourself? No, Pedro? but you know what? No, I haven't. But I was very close. I was in Santiago de Compostela. I spent five weeks in Spain one summer. Oh, you were? And it just never worked out. I didn't know enough about it. I didn't plan, you know, so I never walked it. I never even... But I was very close. Like, I was right there. Well, so uh, maybe one day. Well, I don't know if the Pope, Pope Benedict, has walked it, but he will be going there yes. to, uh, to mark a special holy year in Compostela. Okay. And uh, so we'll be talking a little bit more about that later. Good. Okay. So that's coming up, but mm -hmm. we're going to start with a song as we usually do. Now our featured artist of the week is Rosanna Reverso. She's a beautiful, uh, powerful voice, uh, classical singer. And uh, here's her song, Fly On, from her album, Let There Be Peace. Until we meet again 
was our featured artist of the week, Rosanna Reverso, with her song Fly On from her album Let There Be Let There Be Peace. And we will be speaking to Rosanna in the second half of the show. But now we continue with our news. Chris is still here with us. So Santiago. Yes, well the Pope just came back from Great Britain not mm-hmm. long ago and I think our live coverage team is still uh, recuperating from that trip. They're always working on a different time zone wherever the Pope goes. Right. But very soon, November 6th, 7th, the Pope is going to be going to Spain. And the itinerary was released last weekend. And it starts in Santiago to de Compostela, which is famous because of this, this pilgrimage that exists that ends in Compostela. There was actually a recent movie uh, with Martin, Martin Sheen, Sheen yeah. uh, called The Way. It hasn't uh, reached wide release yet, but it came to Toronto as part of the film festival. Yes. So the Pope will be going to the cathedral there, and they have this uh, really uh, uh, massive, um, uh, I guess it's a, a thurible, the the thing with the mm, incense mm-hmm. that, that swings, and it requires about five people to be swinging this, and he's right. going to be blessing this as well. Nice. Now... Uh, it's a holy year in Compostela, and there's going to be an outdoor mass. After that, the Pope is going to make his way to Barcelona, where he's going to be consecrating the Sagrada Familia Church. Mm-hmm. Did you go to this when you were in no, Spain? No, I was not in Barcelona, no, but that Church of the Holy Family. Yeah. Church of the Holy Family. Everyone who's at home, if you're by a computer, you've got to look this up, because it's an extraordinary-looking church designed by the renowned Spanish architect yeah. Antoni Gaudi. And it's been in construction since 1882. Yes. And uh, events like the Spanish Civil War have, you know, created some setbacks. Interesting. Uh, But it's finally going to be completed. And the Pope, uh, according to the Archbishop there, is going to declare it a basilica. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the second time the Pope's been to Spain. And he's going to be going back there one more time next year for World Youth Day. Right, of course. But uh, so though that trip is, is on its way, there's already been now talk about another trip happening next year and this is to the Dominican Republic. I know. Now the Vatican hasn't announced this yet but the bishops of the Dominican Republic did according to Rome reports and this will be a second trip to Latin America Mm -hmm. in 2007 he went to Brazil and it will be the 500th anniversary of the founding of the first diocese in the Americas. Yes. And uh, uh, there's already talk that you know if he's going to the Dominican Republic Maybe Should he go to Haiti? Is he going to yeah. go to Haiti as well? Yeah. Because they're they're they both the share island, the same yeah. island. That's right. 
And uh, earlier this year, the president of the Dominican Republic had invited him and already we're told that the Diocese of La Vega has been preparing for his accommodations. Really? So, I mean, I don't, we're waiting for the confirmation from the Vatican, but at very least, the bishops of the Dominican Republic seem to think he's coming. So, so we'll wait to hear from we'll that. We'll wait to hear that. That would be a good uh, trip to go on with the Pope. It uh, would be a I'll great trip. for the Dominican yeah. Republic. And it's the same situation as is, uh, in 2012, uh, the Archbishop of Lviv announced that the Pope had accepted his invitation to go to the Ukraine. Really? And that was back in May that he had announced this. And we're still waiting for the Vatican to confirm, to confirm this. And that yeah. one has a lot of implications. Uh, the Russian Orthodox Church... Um, uh, is in conflict with the Catholic Church over the canonical territory in the Ukraine, whether right. it's they have a problem with some of the Catholic Church's efforts there. So that one has a lot of implications. And uh, Pedro, I want to just update you finally on uh, on something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and that was the the issue of of school trustees. Maybe it was just oh, last yeah. week that we talked yes. about it. Was two it? weeks ago? Yep. And uh, and how. Here in Toronto, the Archbishop has made an exception to to the the long-standing rules where you're not allowed as if you're if a you're running for yeah. as a politician to campaign on church property. And he has reversed this, and he's actually recommending that politicians campaign on church mm-hmm, property, mm-hmm. and that that applies only to Catholic school trustees. Yep. And uh, I had a chance to actually speak with the sister of one of the candidates after mass. Uh, I had kind of forgotten about this, and so I was a little bit surprised when when I saw them outside of uh, of St. Paul's Basilica here right. in Toronto, and uh, it was very interesting to 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 hear you know how people have been responding. She said that some people have been put off by the sight of politicians right outside the church, mm. and yet it's also a really good opportunity just to. Uh, make people aware that there is a Catholic school trustee election. Absolutely. And uh, and just even know what, what a trustee is and what the issues are. Yeah. Have you seen them yet at no, your parish? No, I haven't seen them at my parish, but pff, I know that there's an election going on because we certainly have all the signs everywhere, so I'm sure we will. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. That's our news segment for today. Remember, let us know what you think about anything you hear on this program, radio at Salt and Light TV. And coming up is our new segment, Saint of the Week, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org and our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up is Mary Rose Bacani, but first... Saint of the Week. Here's Lawrence Foucault. Thanks, Pedro. So who are we talking about today? So on Tuesday, October 5th, we have Saint Faustina. Okay. So she was born uh, in Poland in 1905 um, to a poor religious family of peasants. Um, she knew she wanted to be um, a religious um, sister at age seven. Right. But then at age 20, she had a vision of the suffering Christ, and she was called in that vision and so she entered the congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. Okay, so she had her first vision before she was even a sister. Yeah, yeah before. Wow. So her, she's quite well known. Her, her most uh, important mission was to be Christ's Apostle of Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he appeared to her as King of Divine Mercy, and he was wearing a white garment. One hand was raised in a sign of blessing, and the other 
was touching the garment at the breast from beneath the garment, um, and two large rays were emanating from his heart, one so, red and the other pink. So that's that famous image that probably yeah. a lot of people recognize the image of Jesus with the two rays yeah. shooting says, from his, and it says that's the divine mercy, or, or Jesus I trust in Jesus, you. Jesus I yeah. trust in you, so, so people might not know that that image was the vision of Saint Faustina. that Saint Faustina had, cool. Yeah. And um, this is actually what Jesus said to her in, in a vision. Uh, he said, In the old covenant I send prophets wielding thunderbolts to my people. Mm-hmm. Today I am sending you with my mercy to the people of the whole world. I do not want to punish aching mankind, but I desire to heal it, pressing it to my merciful heart. Mm. So that was part of that same vision. That, yeah, it was. Okay. Uh, so she also had many extraordinary gifts. Uh-huh. Um, well, like as I said, revelations and visions, visions of Jesus and Mary um, several times. She also visited purgatory, really? which is quite amazing, uh-huh. hard to think about. Um, she had the hidden stigmata, okay. which is basically this, the pains of a stigmata, but without the visible signs. Okay, so she could feel it, but you couldn't see anything. Right. Okay. She, actually, she had the gift of bilocation. Really, as well? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huh. The reading of human souls and the gift of prophecy. Okay. Uh, hmm. So this, with regards to uh, these gifts, she wrote in her diary, Neither graces, nor revelations, nor raptures, nor gifts granted to a soul make it perfect, but rather the intimate union of the soul with God. These gifts are merely ornaments of the soul, but constitute neither its essence nor its perfection. My sanctity and perfection consists in the close union of my will with the will of God. Hmm. Wow. So, so I guess the, the, that image of the uh, the divine mercy with the yeah. rays shooting out of the heart of Jesus. Yeah. Um, I, I, what I was just going to say is that for me, that that's the message that you know that, yeah. that Jesus. It's it's all about mercy. It's not so much about judgment. Yeah. Um, so, Sister Faustina. So, when's the feast day again? That's on Tuesday, October 5th. Tuesday, October 5th. So uh, thank you very much, Lawrence. So uh, remember, everybody, uh, pray with Sister uh, St. Faustina on October 5th. Um, uh, But don't go anywhere, because in the second half of our program, I will be speaking with Vatican expert John Allen on his new book, The Future of the Church, that's coming up. Thank you, Lawrence. Um, Mm -hmm. Lawrence is also going to be back with programming a little later. So again, don't go anywhere. Hi, this is Chris Bray, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. Salt and Light Radio also can be heard at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and here now with me is Mary Rose. Thank you, Pedro. So first, the Vancouver Archdiocese. Now, this Archdiocese wants to deal with a serious question. If we say there's only one church... What does this mean to Anglicans? Mm. So join Pavel Reed, Director of Catholic Family Services, for this North Shore Catholic Seminar Series for the month of October. It's only $6 a person for this social with refreshments. And for more info, check the Vancouver Archdiocesan website or go to nscdg.ca. And to mark the opening of the Franciscan Center in Edmonton, The Franciscan Sisters of Atonement will celebrate the transitus from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Now, the transitus, for you who don't know, is a Franciscan devotion to ritually remember St. Francis's passing from this earthly life into eternal life with God. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Find out more by calling 780-422-7263 for further information. And Life Chain is here once again. I'm sure Pedro's very excited about this. Yes. And I have two to report about, one in Calgary and the other in Saskatoon. Calgary Life Chain takes place tomorrow, October 3rd, from 2.30 to 4 p.m. on, on McLeod Trail South between 58th and 90th Avenue. Mm-hmm. For more info, go to lifechaincalgary.org. And Campaign Life Coalition Saskatchewan is inviting everyone to participate in their life chain tomorrow as well from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. It'll take place along the streets 22nd and Idlewild. Idlewild. I'm not sure exactly I'm not sure how is. to pronounce that. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that there are life chains happening all over the country. Yes. So if people want to find out if there's a life chain happening near you, just check your diocesan website, call your diocesan office because... Uh, I know there's one near my, my home, and there's usually one near everybody's homes. That's right. And as for Toronto, St. John Bosco is coming to Toronto. Ooh. Well, his relic is. Yes. <laughs> his relic is inside a life-sized statue, which is on a six-year international pilgrimage in preparation for his 200th birthday in 2015. Wow. So this relic will be going through 130 countries where the Salesians continue their founder's mission. Mm-hmm. And you can venerate this relic when it comes to Toronto to St. Benedict Church on Tuesday, October 5th from 7.30 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. So that's all day. Mm. St. John Bosco was honored by John Paul II with the title Friend and Teacher of Youth. So if you are young, young of heart, or work with young people, St. John Bosco can be the inspiration for you. And St. John Bosco trivia, his feast day is January 31st, which also is my birthday. (laughs) So there you go, (laughs) John Bosco. If you're in Toronto and you want to go uh, venerate his relics or check them out, uh, visit the diocesan website. So thank you, Mary Rose. Um, remember, all of you, tell us what's happening in your diocese and uh, and we'll uh, let everybody know. Send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. I am Andy Carey and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Lawrence will be back shortly with our programming news. But first, Mary Rose is still here with some news about Halifax. That's right, because a couple days ago, I talked to Father James Mallon, an old friend of ours. Yes. He's the founder and director of the John Paul II Media Institute, aside, aside from being a priest of the Archdiocese of Halifax, newly appointed pastor of one of their newly built churches, St. Benedict. So here's what he said about what's going on. So Father Malin, tell us what's been going on in the Archdiocese of Halifax. Well, besides all the regular stuff of you know, celebrating the Eucharist and, and, and ministering in parishes and, and trying to do everything the Church has always done, there's been some really interesting developments over the last couple of years in our diocese. Uh, developments similar to those experienced, I think, in other places as well, because our infrastructure is outdated. Mm. Uh, it has been for quite some time. So it's meant that parishes have had to contract, uh, for the most part, it, parishes have been combined. Um, they've been amalgamated. And in, in the present time, there's a unique situation in that, uh, in, in one case, three parishes were actually uh, not just amalgamated, but shut down and sold. And a new parish was built, a brand new church building. And, and I've just been actually named, I've just moved to this new parish, and there are other parishes as well in Amherst, uh, which is a small town about a two-hour drive from Halifax. They brought together two parishes, again, sold them, shut them down, and and 
built a brand new church, mm. and they're working on a third church as well. And what's interesting is that uh, our bishop said it's the first time he's ever blessed a new church. <laughs> and uh, he's hopefully going to have another one to bless. This year he blessed two. And so in the midst of so many things that seem to be, you know, dying, uh, this new church, these new churches are signs of, of, of new life and new beginnings. And that has been a blessing in what, of course, has been a difficult year for us. Mm-hmm. Now, you're also working on a new catechetical series on yeah, dogmatic theology. Yeah, the Media Institute, yeah. Yes, please tell us about that. Well, it's a, we wanted something to follow up on, on Catholicism 2.1, which has been quite successful, and uh, it was actually built on an idea that I had originally for a book that I've been saying for you know 100 years that I was going to write <laughs> sometime. And it simply, w- the book would be called Dogmatic Theology, uh, subtitled Spiritual Reflections on Dog Ownership. And the original idea was basically to share some of my thoughts and reflections that I've, I've, I've had based on just watching my dog while I'm, you know, somehow thinking about what I'm, go- what am I going to preach on this this weekend? And and uh, I had outlined about thirty possible chapters, you know, funny stories uh, connecting it to spirituality and theology. So the idea was, uh, hey, why don't we do a video series on this? So uh, with much reluctance, we finally came up with a format. And the format is this. We basically have a combination of, of, of materials in it. It's an eight-week course, and uh, it begins with a 45-second kind of funny dog story. And then there's um, we did a studio audience shoot with five cameras. And after about 12 minutes, we actually have a dogmatic theologian who's kind of like a Catholic Rex Murphy, and we shoot him <laughs> doing a theology lesson on the move. So he's driving a car up in an airplane, in an elevator, a museum, a pool bar, a prison cell, a doctor's office, getting a medical cemetery, chocolate shop, chemistry lab, just moving around, doing stuff. It's a little tongue-in-cheek, um, uh, but it's, it's fun. And then back into studio for another 12, 14 minutes of unpacking the theme, and then we f- finish off with a, with a documentary testimony of someone speaking about their personal experience of what we're looking at. And So it looks at... Uh, Basic, it looks at the, the Trinity, uh, sin, guilt, and forgiveness, the Lordship of Christ, Scripture, um, uh, the problem of suffering. That week is called "It's a Dog's Life." Uh, the week eight is on mortality, grief, and eternal life, and that that week is called "The Dogs Go to Heaven." So it's it's kind of fun, funny, serious, heavy, with different um, genres of teaching in a sense for, for people who learn in different ways. So we're almost finished. We're we're 99% finished production. We've been working on it for a year. And we've just got quite a bit of post-production work still to do, and we hope to release it by hopefully before Christmas. I'll be looking out for that. Thanks so much, Father Hey, you're very welcome. Goodbye for now. God bless. So that was Father James Mallon, founder and director of the John Paul II Media Institute. And to find out more about that, go to jp2mi.ca. And to find out more about his exciting dogmatic theology series, go to dogmatictheology.ca Sounds very good. Thank you, Mary Rose. Coming up in the second half of Salt and Light Radio is our featured artist, Rosanna Reverso. So stay tuned. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. And here now is Lawrence back with us with our programming news. That's right. So... Uh, Tomorrow, Sunday, October 3rd at 8 p.m. Eastern, 9 Pacific, we have a new witness. Okay. We have Auxiliary Bishop of Sydney, Australia, Bishop 
Anthony Fisher. Okay, so he was the guy who was in charge of World East Day. In Sydney, yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And he also has a doctorate in bioethics. So oh, really? He'll be talking to Father Tom on various bioethical issues. Okay. So that's uh, Sunday, October 3rd at 8 p.m. Eastern, 9 Pacific. Okay. Also, a brand new Catholic Focus this Wednesday, October 6th at 7 p.m. Eastern, oh, yeah. 8 Pacific. Uh, we have host Jenna Murphy talk, talking about the politics of compassion. So okay. she, she'll be focusing on the World Religious Leaders Summit and how faith can impact politics. Okay, so if politics, faith, world leaders, and compassion. Sounds like an interesting right. mix. Yeah. Okay, that's so Wednesday. That's yeah, Wednesday, October 6th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 8 Pacific. Okay, Catholic Focus, good. A good new Catholic Focus coming up. That's right. Uh, and also, uh, great news, we have... Uh, brand new documentary next Saturday, October 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 9 Pacific. Mm-hmm. It's called Ends of the Earth. Ends of the Earth. And you produced it. And so. I produced it. So, yes, I guess you want me to talk about it. Right. Um, I don't know if our listeners remember, uh, in May, I was up in the Yukon. Um, I travel with a group of high school students that were going on a mission trip. Now, for those of you that might not be familiar with mission trips, uh, it's very common here, particularly in Catholic schools, but all schools will, will you know, the high schools at some point in grade 10, 11, they'll go mm-hmm. off to Jamaica or the Dominican right. Republic to build a school or whatever. But this particular teacher here in the school here just outside uh, of Toronto thought, well, why are we going to Jamaica to, you know, on a mission trip? Why, why don't we stay here in Canada? Because we right. have mission churches right here in Canada. So up in yeah. the Yukon, in the territories... Um, there, it's a mission diocese. So he organized this trip. We went up. The kids helped uh, with various projects, building, uh, helping prepare a camp for the summer or painting right. a church that only has three parishioners. Wow. Um, the Diocese of Whitehorse that has 22 parishes and only six priests. Wow. So it's a really good uh, immersion, I guess, experience uh, to what it's like, what, what the mission churches experience mm-hmm. what what the church the needs of the church of the north basically right so through the eyes of these 17 18 year olds we look at uh the needs of the mission churches and in particular of course the diocese of whitehorse in yukon um i think it's a great little documentary yeah i saw um, the i actually saw the trailer yes uh, a while ago and amazing Amazing vistas. Yes. Like, I'm from BC, so yes. mountains, I no, love mountains. You know what? And, and that's the thing. The tagline is, you know, beauty like this will save the world. And, of right. course, you see the beauty of them. I, I cannot even describe these mountains. Yeah. And that I would <laughs> see them every day. And every day that I'd see them, it was like I was seeing them for the first time. And you could right. take all, all... I took, like, a thousand pictures, and right. the pictures just don't capture right. the real beauty. And so that beauty of the majest, the majesty of God's creation... Right. Um, but then, of course, the beauty that will save the world is the sacrifice yeah. that these missionaries um, made to yeah. go up there with dog sleds and and, yeah. and and freeze to death and build like these guys were building <laughs> churches on their own with wow. cutting trees down by themselves. Wow. And and the, some of these churches are still there. So the, the high school students got a, got a chance to experience a little bit of that. And hopefully through the documentary, our, our viewers can also... Uh, experience a little bit of what, what it's like to be a missionary and right. to, to, to go on a mission and to make a sacrifice pilgrimage. So that's Ends of the Earth. Great. Um, it's going to premiere on Saturday, right? Saturday, October 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 9 Pacific. So very good. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for plugging in my documentary, Ends of the Earth. Um, and remember uh, to check our programming schedule at saltandlighttv.org. All this information is there. Um, and that's also where you can watch all our programs stream, streaming live. If you want to watch Ends of the Earth and you're outside our broadcasting area, 
Um, you can watch it on our website, saltandlighttv.org. Um, and that's it for the first half of Salt and Light Radio. Stay tuned for John Allen on his new book, The Future Church, and also our featured artist, Rosanna Reverso. Several years ago, I was fairly unemployed, and my pastor hooked me up to work for the census. All I had to do was go door-to-door in a particular neighborhood and help Spanish-speaking people fill out the census form. I must say, it was a very interesting couple of weeks. Now, there are some people in Canada who want to scrap the mandatory long form of the census, and I am remembering those days so long ago. Let me explain. Most people get a short census form. It collects basic information, age, marital status, ethnic background, religion, number of children, that sort of thing. But every 50 or so households receive a long form census. This one is more involved with all kinds of questions from property ownership to employment, mobility, childcare, housing, and income. The issue? Well, some people feel that some of this information should be private and confidential and that the government has no business asking how many rooms your house has. The thing is, many organizations, including the Catholic Church, rely on this information in order to provide services. It's not a campaign to invade people's privacy or Big Brother is watching. This information is useful. Here's what I think. We expect the state to provide us with various services, but then we don't want to give anything to the state in return. I think that's silly. From what I remember, most people were happy to fill out the long-form census. They needed help, and sometimes questions would go unanswered, but generally, there were no issues. In fact, I would be happy to fill out the long-form census anytime. I don't believe it's an infringement on my privacy, I get a lot from the Canadian government and the various organizations that use this data. It's the least I can do to help them out. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. What will the Catholic Church be like in a hundred years? Will we have married priests? Will there be a woman pope? Will the pope be based in Rome? There's a new book that explores some trends that might help us predict the future of the church. I spoke to the author of The Future Church, John Allen, earlier this week while he was on a lecture tour in Toronto. So, uh, John Allen, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. It is a great pleasure. So you have this new book, (laughs) the new book, The Future Church, How Ten Trends Are Revolutionizing the Catholic Church. Uh, What was the... uh, I guess the motivation or the inspiration for this book, where does this come from? Well, two things. One is I wanted to intentionally kind of cast this conversation in global terms, because I think in many ways we're all sort of captives of our own circumstances, right? So when we think about the church, we think about the church in Toronto or the church in Birmingham or wherever wherever you happen to be. But we need to remember that there are 1.2 billion Catholics in the world in every nook and cranny of the planet, Mm two-thirds of them now living in the global south. It's important to think about that. Um, And Mm -hmm. so part of it was to provide that global frame. The other thing was uh, that, you know, as a a journalist who covers the Vatican and the Catholic Church regularly, um, I'm extraordinarily sensitive to the fact that uh, the, the canon of issues that typically figure in media coverage of the Catholic Church is pretty narrow. You know, I mean, if you and I walked out in the street right now, 
and, and just stop 10 people at random and ask them, what are the issues facing the Catholic Church? We'd probably get the same set of stuff, right? Gay marriage, the sex abuse crisis, abortion, women. And those right. are all extraordinarily important issues, obviously, and well worth chewing over. But we also know that, you know, there's a hell of a lot more going on in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the, the other agenda with this book, I guess, uh, was to sort of flesh out the story. In other words, to tell the untold story of what's happening okay. in the Catholic Church all over the world. Okay, because I think that sometimes people might look, you talk about trends and people might, might read that and think that you're actually talking about change or predicting change, but that's not what you're, that's not what you're doing. Listen, if you want to know my track record as a prognosticator, bear in mind that in 1999 I published a book predicting that Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger would never become Pope. And of course today he sits on the throne of Peter as Pope Benedict XVI. So I ain't in the future prediction business. My, my argument, well, the reason I call this the future church, is that because trying to think about what's sort of around the corner doesn't so much tell us anything about the future, it tells us something about the present. I mean, in other words, it invites us to sort through the kind of normal stuff, the, the, the isolated events and random news headlines that are always washing across our radar screens, and try to get our hands around those forces that are truly most fundamental uh, in terms of carrying Catholicism into the future. That's what I was trying to do in the book. Now, just a note for anyone joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. We're speaking with Vatican expert and author John Allen. He has a new book called The Future Church, How Ten Trends Are Revolutionizing the Catholic Church. Now, can you give us an example of, of some of these trends? What, what are we looking at? Sure. Well, one of them is what I call uh, a world church, and what I mean by that is a transition from a Catholicism that was concentrated primarily in Europe and North America to a Catholicism that is truly global. I mean, if you run the numbers today, there are 1.2 billion Catholics on the planet. Two-thirds of them live in the Southern Hemisphere, mm -hmm. Africa, Asia, Latin America. Mm -hmm. By mid-century, that's going to be three-quarters. In other words, three out of every four are Catholic men, women, and children alive will live in the Southern Hemisphere. So that in the 21st century, places like Manila and Nairobi and Jakarta will become what Paris and Louvain and Milan were in the 15th and 16th centuries. In other words, the primary centers of new theological imagination, mm -hmm. new pastoral energy, new political leadership. Uh, I think it's really interesting to try to think through what all that means. Okay, so can we, can we do that? But, uh, just play with me here. So if you're saying that it's not helping us predict change, but it can because if the center of the church becomes Jakarta or Nigeria or somewhere, does that mean that we will have an African pope or an Arab pope? I mean, why not? Well, I mean, first of all, we already have had African popes. I mean, yes, in the early centuries of the church, there I, were popes I, I, in North Africa. But I bet, sure. Absolutely. Look, uh, you know, in terms of the papacy, if the question is, will we one day have a third, quote-unquote, third world yeah. pope? Oh, of course we will. Um, I actually think that the election of John Paul II in 1978, you know, the, the first non-Italian in centuries, shattered the, the, not only the Italian monopoly in the papacy, but I think it shattered the era in which geography was at all relevant. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the, in the conclave of April 2005, uh, the cardinals didn't elect Joseph Ratzinger because he was German. I mean, in a sense, they almost elected him in spite of the fact <laughs> that he was German. I mean, in the abstract, if you ask them, would you prefer a European or an African or a Latin American? Many of them would have said the African or Latin American. Yeah. But the point is, they weren't looking at what passport the guy held. You know, they were looking for the best man for the job. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if there is a, an, a sort of a, an equivalent of Joseph Ratzinger, not in the sense that anyone can be exactly him, but who would possess the same cocktail yeah. of qualities, uh, who happens to come from Africa or Latin America or Asia, absolutely yes. That guy automatically, I, I think, would become a serious candidate to be pope. Well, and that's, as the, the shift moves to those churches in the south, maybe that means that there will be the opportunity for people in those countries to become 
like uh, Joseph Ratzinger, why do you say that the trends are revolutionizing the church? Do we really see it as a revolution? Well, I mean, I think the story of Catholicism always is the kind of balance between continuity and change. So on the one hand, the church is simper idem, you know, always the same. I mean, in other words, there are certain core values, core teachings that are non-negotiable and that are constant. On the other hand, the church is also always being revolutionized. Mm -hmm. You know, the Council of Trent uh, in the 16th century revolutionized the Catholic Church. The Second Vatican Council in the mid-60s revolutionized the Church. The papacy of John Paul II revolution. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me that those Absolutely. were all revolutionary yeah, moments? Yeah, yeah. And so there's nothing counterintuitive about the notion that there are things going on today that are also laying the groundwork for a future revolution. It, it, do you think that part of the maybe problem is not the right word, but part of the problem is that people are always thinking about here and now and their own life, and they're not thinking of generations or 100 years from now. So when we think of, oh, this is the worst thing that's going to happen to the church is the sex abuse scandal or something. But it's not. I mean, the church has been rocked by scandals, as you said, since the beginning of time. So do we need to step back and look at, at the larger picture um, of the church when, we, when we're making those sort of judgments? Well, look, I mean, I don't want to soft sell the gravity of the sexual abuse crisis. I mean, it has been a massive blow to the internal life of the church, and it has also uh, badly compromised the moral authority of the Catholic Church in the public square. Uh, so by no means do I want to minimize how important it is. But what I would tell you is this. If you took one of those Rand McNally wall charts of world history, you know how in grade school yeah. they used to sell these things to yeah. you? If you put it up on a wall, okay, if you took 2,000 years of church history, and you put a blindfold on and randomly threw a dart, no matter where it landed, whether it was the 9th or 19th century, there would be crisis and controversy and disaster. Yeah. In other words, there would be a case for despair in that moment, and there would also be a case for hope. And I think that's also the story of the early 21st century. I mean, I if you want to look for the case for despair for Catholicism now, it is in some ways depressingly easy to make. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, you know, if you take the blinders off and take a clear-eyed look around, there are also a thousand and one points of light out there um, that can assemble a really powerful case for hope. Mm -hmm. So is that your hope for the book, that, that the people will see these trends and see that it's pointing us towards hope? Well, look, um, Pedro, in the first place, uh, what my hope for the book is that I got the story right. Okay. I mean, I hope in each one of these 10 trends that I describe, not only am I right that this is an important trend, but I hope the way I presented it is accurate and helpful. Um, but, I mean, if you're asking, having done all of that, I mean, would I like to believe that this, po that this book also kind of fuels a sense of hopefulness about the future prospects of Catholicism? Of course I would. Because, uh, you know, I'll tell you, taking off my journalist hat and putting on my, Catholic, my, my Catholic hat, mm -hmm. okay, you know, I am profoundly convinced that there is an enormous reservoir of positive energy and new vision and creativity uh, afoot in the church these days. And I wish sometimes that more people were able to see it. Thank you very much for sharing your ideas with us. That was Vatican expert and author John Allen. I spoke to him earlier this week. His book, The Future Church, How Ten Trends Are Revolutionizing the Catholic Church, can be purchased at any bookstore. You can also read John Allen's blog at the National Catholic Reporter website. And we'll put that link. Um, on our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And you can write to us to tell us your opinions on this topic. What do you think the church will look like a hundred years from now? Write to us, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Here now is Rosanna Reverso with He's the One.
listening to Salt and Light Radio heard on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. And that was Rosanna Reverso with He's the One from her album Let There Be Peace. Now, remember the priests, the Irish singing priests? Well, last time they were in Canada, they sang in Toronto and with them sang a beautiful soprano with a powerful voice. Turns out that her name is Rosanna Reverso and she's Catholic. And she's not just in it to make money. She believes that it is her duty to use her talents for the greater good. She donates her time and musical abilities for various charitable events. Right now, for example, she's in the middle of her annual peace concert tour. And this is her way of spreading the Christian faith and raising funds for local churches and charities. And Rosanna Reverso joins me now on the phone. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio, Radio, Rosanna. Hi there, Pedro. Thank you for having me. No, it's great to have you. Um, You've been performing since you were a little little girl, seven years old or something, right? Yes. So what was it like in your home growing up? 
Was it like the Von Trapp family singers? <laughs> well, I'm actually the the youngest of three girls. Okay. And um, uh, my, the the middle the middle sister the the middle child um, was already involved in music, and she's about eight years older than I am. Oh, really? So um, with that age with that age uh, difference, as a very very young girl, I was listening to her. She would play the piano, and so her that was her passion was was playing the piano. So. I was always around around her. You know, I looked up to her, and my father is also someone who really loves the arts. Um, he would always be taking my sisters and I to to plays and to musicals, and and even to the opera, which really uh -huh. wasn't our thing as kids. Right. <laughs> okay. So you were singing at church. So obviously, you were going to mass every Sunday. Was was your faith life also at at home? Was it a rich faith life, or is that something that came later for you? No, I think it was. Uh, it, it did come very early on. I went to Catholic school as well, mm -hmm. and uh, my my parents were both very um, very devout, faith uh, faithful Christians, faithful Catholics. My father, for as long as I can remember, has been uh, a reader at church and uh -huh. a Eucharistic minister, um, and volunteers a lot of his time um, to various charities uh, and and church activities uh, right. the night of columbus as well oh, yeah. and my mother is just someone who um really inspired me to turn to prayer she saw you know she's not maybe as active in the church as my father is mm -hmm. but um you know she's the the person that uh, is always every friday at a novena at a various church in in our city and um you know whenever Whenever, both good times or bad times, uh, her first, I guess, place that she yeah, turns she to is, is prayer. And so prayer. I learned that both definitely from my parents. Right. Um, and I think, if anything, I got that at an early age, and it was, like I said, at, uh, similar to to my steering away from classical music. It was the, the years of adolescence and, and going into university where I maybe, you know, steered off the path a bit mm -hmm. and... Um, you know, although I, I always loved God and I always, you know, believed in Jesus and and I, I perhaps wasn't as um, de devoted to to prayer and to, you know, going to Sunday Mass regularly while I was, you know, um, in university and uh -huh. focusing more on my studies. Right. Now, anyone joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro. We're speaking with our featured artist of the week, Rosanna Reverso. Uh, I just want to quickly ask you a little bit about your music, because you don't just sing, you know, Schubert's Ave Maria. You, you also do contemporary stuff, and you write your own music. So, And we've heard two of your songs already. Um, he's the one. He's Can the you one and Fly On. And I Fly believe. On. Can you tell us a little bit about those songs? Yes. Um, well, He's the One is a song that I, I wrote really as a, as a response to, to studying the Gospel of John. Um, mm. The past uh, few years have been a, an emotional and spiritual journey for me. Back in, in 2004, my mother was, was diagnosed with, with cancer, and it was pretty um, stressful. Mm -hmm. And it was a time in my life where I um, was confused about uh, the path that I, you know, should take in terms of my career choices thus far, and mm -hmm. and so um, that was really the point at which I felt I um, turned back, really turned back to God. Whereas prior to that, I was, um, you know, looking to myself and my own powers to, to make things happen or to get answered, my own reasoning instead of just mm -hmm. praying for God to to guide me. And so um, it was during that time that I really just felt 
he was calling me to just go back to the word, go back to my 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 faith, and so I started with with the Gospel of John, and right. when I was reading, um, in particular chapter four um, or fourteen, rather, when 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 Jesus is speaking to the disciples um, at the time of the Last Supper, yeah, um, and he, you know, the words, "I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life," and and the message of peace, and that how as Christians. Um, you know, the way that we show the world that we are Christians is is by maintaining a peaceful heart in the midst of our trials and tribulations, because Jesus, that's why Jesus came. Jesus overcame the world, so we could have that peace. And he right. doesn't offer the type of peace that the world offers. You know, when everything's going your way in the world, you can be peaceful. Well, anybody can feel like that when everybody's, you know, Absolutely. when everything's going their way. Yeah. But Jesus really teaches us, I, I believe, especially in that passage, um, that, that he's the way to peace. And, and if we believe in him and that we, you know, um, follow follow him uh, and recognize that he made the sacrifice for us, you know, we will feel the peace. And mm-hmm. so that's where the inspiration by He's the One came from. Yeah, we're, and just, Rosanna, we're running out of time, but I, I don't want to leave you without talking about the tour, the, the, the peace tour. Um, th- this is an annual concert tour that you've been doing? I well, the intention is for it to be annual. Okay. This is the first okay, so this year is the that first we started annual. it. Okay. So um, we're hoping that we can make this an annual tour, correct? And, yeah. And where does the inspiration behind the, the the tour come from? I mean, you've talked already a little bit about you know being Christians and how that inspires us to to be peaceful. Is that sort of the same motivation? Yes, and I think, like I was saying to you uh, at the time of of when I was dealing with. Um, uh, the situation with my mom's illness um, and wanting to wanting uh, questioning my own purpose in life. That's when I really felt the call, the call from God to to use my musical talents um, to to give Him glory and and to and to make a difference. And and the way to do that was to help to help spread the Christian faith. Um, you know, in today's society, it seems that um, there's a lot of different movements, like the I Am movement, where you could, you know. There is no God, and you, God is yourself, or, or you right. believe that you can make all the difference without without God. And I just wanted to to be um, someone to help um, help spread the Christian faith because that's where I, in in, in my life, has fa- have found the most happiness and peace is, is in Jesus and in in my faith. Right. So, so that was really the call behind it. And I think at the same time, we've made all of these concerts charitable. Uh-huh. So I think if we can spread the Christian faith, but at the same time also raise funds for the needy and for the for the disadvantaged, then we're also being an example of what God calls us to be, which is loving our neighbors. And so, and um, I think that really was you know, the the inspi- inspiration yes. and the passion behind it. So there's one more concert date that's next Saturday, October eighth. Correct. It's Sorry, next Friday. Friday, Friday, October the eighth. <laughs> Friday, thank you. Friday, October eighth in Toronto at St. Paul's Basilica. Correct. At what time? And it's at 8 p.m., so the doors will open at 7, but the show will start at 8. Okay. And we also have some surprise guest performers uh, at that show that have not been part of the previous um, Peace Concerts. So um, it'd be great to have people come out and, and take a look. Excellent. No, and I, I will be there. Salt and Light Television will be there, and I highly recommend it. I mean, you've already heard some of Rosanna's music. So if you like what you're hearing and you are in the Toronto area, come out uh, at 8 p.m., come before 8 p.m. on October 8th, Friday, to St. Paul's Basilica to listen to this concert and support the charities that Rosanna is supporting and, and, and enjoy an evening of, of faith-filled music. Rosanna, that's all the time we have. No problem. Um, Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem, and, uh, and I'll see you next Friday. Great.
Great. Thanks, Pedro. Okay. Rosanna Reverso, our featured artist of the week. You can get more information about Rosanna and how to purchase her CD, actually, at her website, rosannareverso.com. That's Rosanna with two N's, R-O-S-A-N-N-A, Reverso, R-I-V-E-R-S-O.com. But we'll also put that link on our website as well, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is Rosanna with her song, Waiting. Traces Cold Lonely places Shadows That reach beyond The drifting Snow Melting The sorrow For every Tomorrow
that was Waiting by Rosanna Reversal, and she was singing with Mark Masri. And that brings us to the end of this week's Salt and Light Radio. If you missed any part of this broadcast or you want to listen to any Salt and Light Radio program, remember that we archive all our shows. So just go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio and you can listen to them there or you can download them to listen to them later. We now also have all our shows up on Facebook. So check it out, facebook.saltandlighttv.org. And remember that we are a charitable organization and we rely on your support. If you like what you hear on this program, please send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, to see how you can help us continue our ministry. And thank you for keeping us in your prayers. That's all for today. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been Salt and Light Radio.